Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we get to talk about how I got to go out of town for like a day and a half. My God, it was awesome. And I got to see my grandma, and it was a lot of fun. I rode down with my sister, and we had a blast. I ate food at a restaurant. Yeah, and I got the house to myself for like 36 glorious hours. And I don't understand those, you know, couples that they're like, they were married for 60 years and the longest they ever spent apart was their work day. And I'm like, how no, do they not kill you. each other? No, thank you. Yeah, seriously, like, guys, time apart from each other is healthy. And even though I work from home all day, every day, it's not really the same thing as having the house to yourself because having the house to yourself, you get to watch whatever TV you want. And it's like it's like the days when you were a kid and you had you were homesick from school, but you really weren't that sick. <laughs> That's kind of like what having the house to yourself is, except in my case, it means that you clean the grout on the kitchen floor. Yep, to the point where your knees bruise. Well, it is tile floor that yeah. your knees are going to bruise. But I also watched a season and a half of Riverdale, and so, he came home and asked how my day was, and I summarized a season and a half of Riverdale. It's like, I, it's like she asked me, so did you have fun? It's like, yeah, I played some card games with Grandma. It's like, okay. Let me tell you about what has happened in the last season and a half of Riverdale what and my new Jughead's best friend, arc. My, my best friends, Jughead, Archie, Betty, and Veronica, what they're all up to right now. It's like they're all angsty twe- They're all angsty teens now, and you need to be on board. And I keep having to remind myself, because they mentioned that they're sophomores now. You've seen these actors. No! They are all in their mid-twenties at the very least. Like, Cole Sprouse has been around... I mean, he was the kid in Big Daddy. He was Ross's son on Friends. What? I'm pretty sure. Wait, wait, wait. That was Ross's son? Yeah, Jughead was Ross's son. What? He was also the, like, he was one of the twins on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I'm reasonably certain that they are both 60 at this point because, I mean, logically, I know they're younger than us because we were older than them when Big Daddy came out. But they've done so many movies and TV shows that it feels like they've been around for eternity. It's crazy. So, yeah, you didn't know that? Did not know that. I did not know that was Ross's son. You didn't know Jughead was Ross's son or you didn't know Ross's son was the guy from Big Daddy? Both. Or the twins from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? Or also known as Zack and Cody? Yes. Did not know any of that. You have blown my mind. You said that Molly Ringwald was Archie's mom? Yes. Molly Ringwald and Luke Perry are his parents. The moment I saw his dad was Luke Perry, my first thought was, oh, this is going to be awesome. Paul, by, oh, how are they going to make this work? <laughs> because as, I mean, I would hope that you guys likely know Luke Perry had a stroke like a year and a half ago and he died from it. And Austin's I, making a face like he didn't know that Luke Perry was dead. I didn't know Luke Perry was dead. Yeah. He was, I think, 51. Whoa! Jesus Christ, Austin! Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, about a year and a half ago was, I think, when the world exploded. Oh, I guess. Okay, probably two years ago then. Okay. It was pre-world explosion. It was, like, far enough ahead of that. Maybe it was not even 2018. Um, yeah. I, I don't know when Riverdale started. I don't know how long Luke Perry's been dead. But all I know is it's a big bummer, because apparently Luke Perry was actually chill, and a lot of people aren't. And oh. I don't know how they're going to make it work because he's a single dad on this show. Oh, man. He's probably going to have his uncle. Oh, I hope it's the guy who plays Dawson from Dawson's Creek. Uh, James Vanderbeek. Yeah. 
I love James Van Der Beek. It's like bringing another guy from like an iconic 90s show. Da- Dawson's Creek is uh, late 90s, though. Late 90s? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Party of Five? Party of Five. Much was, earlier. Yeah, it was mid-90s. It was early 90s. I, I don't know. It's all a blur. It was 20 years ago. Austin, years that was ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> so, okay, to sum up what we've said so far, Party of Five was probably 30 years ago. Uh, Cole and Dylan Sprouse are uh, immortals and were also Ross's son and were the kids on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, who's, and their mom was played by Jody from Supernatural. It all comes together. See, my head is already a little fuzzy from like a long car ride today and like going being more than 20 miles away from the house for the first time in a year and a half. Oh, but uh, we're going to be going much farther than that in a few months. <gasps> yes. Yeah. In October, Austin gets to see his first ever Broadway show. I am so excited I to take him. cannot wait. It's more probably it's one that I was excited about before you were excited about it. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So look what she's done to me. Look what I made him do. Oh, look what you made me do. Yeah, we're going to go see Hades Town in New York in October. We're really excited. The There was an airfare deal, which hopefully, like American Airlines is canceling all its flights. So hopefully Southwest doesn't and figures their shit out. Ooh. I mean, we got some time. Hopefully things will be cr- less crazy, right? And I was also reading today, it's like, book any hotels now because otherwise the prices are going to skyrocket. So got to figure that out too, guys. Um, What are hostels like? <laughs> Um, all I know about Hostels is from the Eli Roth movie Hostel, and I do not want to be a part of that experience. I don't know anything about them because I am not social enough it's, to be able to handle it's that. It's like Saw, but without any of the intellectual bits. I've never seen Saw. We talked about this yesterday. Oh, yeah. So you never seen Saw? You should see Saw. For the love of God, what are you talking about today? Okay. So in addition to me traveling, we also watch a lot of bad reality TV show. Oh my god, we finished the circle. We got just way too drawn into the circle, and... We've decided that I would be the best contestant of it ever. And no spoilers, but we're like watching the show. They're all so dumb, but also so smart at the exact same time. Oh my god, a couple of them played brilliantly. Like, my... My... I don't want to call myself a slip, my little Slytherin heart anymore because I'm still mad at J.K. Rowling, but my little Slytherin heart was very proud of a couple of them. Yes, it was... Oh, but watching this, I was starting to remember I, a lot of stuff I learned about the unethical psychological experiments that were done in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And that got my brain turning. And psychological experiments got your brain turning? Yes. Reality TV shows did. So my hypothesis is that reality, most reality TV show has some kind of like bad psychological like MK Ultra vibes to it. Okay. And clearly I had to go in and research a bunch of like some of the worst, most unethical, like why did we do this psychological studies? Did you have to also research the worst, most unethical, why did we do this reality shows? Kind of, yeah. See, Austin doesn't have the love of reality TV shows that I do. And I decided I'm going to now rate these studies on a scale of how good of a reality TV show (laughs) they would be. Okay. So Netflix, if you are listening, hit me up. I'm sitting on a gold mine. You're also about to tell them your gold mine. On a podcast. And then we'll get another listener and they will give uh, us a five-star review. Our new listener will be Netflix. Yes, the corporation Netflix. Yes, Netflix. We don't need you to hire us to pitch ideas. We just need a five-star rating on iTunes. God, they'll do... If they actually do that... We will be so upset, Netflix. Be, it will be quite possibly the best tweet of all time. But yeah, Netflix stole our ideas, but they gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Which, in, fair, in all fairness, is what we asked. Bravo, Netflix. 
I was thinking like a lot yesterday because it kept asking me if I was still watching Riverdale about that time it tweeted at somebody. It was like the person who has watched, what was it, the Princess Switch or something? No, I think it was A Christmas Prince. A Christmas Prince, six like 68 times, are you okay? <laughs> I felt called out in that moment. I think it didn't it turn out that like their daughter, like they had a little girl who was like obsessed with it or something. I think so, yeah. I would watch that movie 68 times. I feel like it might have been B-movie, though, and that no one should watch that. Oh, God, B- Like, why does B-movie have such a weird, like, meme following to it? It's not a good movie. Why okay. do Minions have such a meme following? It's Boomers. Not... I've I have tried for years now to understand the appeal of the Minions, even pre-memes. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. So, uh, first one. Okay, I'm going to talk about the monster study. So, first thing off the bat, the name is concerning. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was a 1939 study on uh, stuttering conducted by Mary Tudor and Wendell Johnson. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the hypothesis they were testing was that labeling a child's normal speech as disfluent could cause stuttering. So telling a kid they stuttered could make them stutter. Yes. Okay. So they selected 22 orphans. Actually, the, okay. Can I guess whether or not their hypothesis is correct before, before you dig into it? Yeah, things? go ahead. That one's correct. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, their experiment proved it. It has not been repeated. So. Well, yeah, you would not repeat yeah. this experiment. Oh, but, God, no. I mean, it's the whole, like, you tell a kid that they're a bad kid, they'll become a bad kid thing. You tell a kid that they have a limp, they'll start limping. Yeah. They importantly uh, selected 22 orphans, um, specifically from a orphanage of, like, you know, the children of veterans. So these were war orphans. Warfans. And yeah, so the, uh, 10 of them were stutterers. Uh, five of them would be like given positive reinforcement and said, you know, you're fine. This is a phase. You're going to get better. Your speech is going to improve. The other five were harshly criticized. Uh -huh. Basically, it's like, nope, you've done that wrong. Nope, you've done that wrong. Every time they'd make a mistake, no matter how small or stutter, they would be corrected and told to do it again and also told not to speak unless you could do so correctly. Awesome. Uh, the other 12 students for the study were children selected at random, uh, who had like normal for their age speaking ability. Um, six again were told their speech was fine and complimented on their enunciation. The other six were told they were showing signs of a stutter and were only given negative feedback. Like again, the nope, you need to do this correctly. You need to like push through this. Think about what you're about to say before you say it and don't make mistakes. Okay. I'll tell you right now, when you stutter, you have thought through what you were going to say. In my case, the thought was too fast. My mouth is like, I can't handle this. Yeah. I mean, nobody speaks perfectly. I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so you already know that nobody speaks perfectly. Especially because Austin and I are otherwise the examples of perfection. That's true. We are literally a Polaroid of perfection. Please keep going. Okay. Uh, so the results were what you even just stated. The ones who received pro positive enforcement either stayed the same or improved, but there was an almost immediate effect on all of the people who were given positive, uh, negative reinforcement in those groups. Uh, they spoke less, their schoolwork suffered, children who didn't stutter developed them, mm -hmm. and they also developed other nonverbal tics. Like, mm -hmm. instead of speaking, they'd start snapping, or they would just, like, you know, pull their hair or grab their ears or pinch their nose. Uh-huh. They would do all of these other things. It got so bad for one of them. A 12-year-old girl became so withdrawn, even from her friends, because she was too afraid to speak in front of her friends mm -hmm. that she ended up running away. Mm -hmm. Now, there was lasting harm on these children. What? Yeah. Some even developed lifelong speech problems. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Mary Tudor did try to provide some follow-up care, but... And she 
gave up. In 1940, she wrote, I believe that in time they will recover, but we certainly made an impression on them. Is she still alive? Can I kick her ass? I didn't, I'm, I'm sh- I didn't I'm, look into if she was alive or not. I mean, this is in the 30s, so I'm assuming she'd be about 120. I can kick yeah. a 120-year-old's ass. Absolutely. I'd be there with you. I'd, I'd back you up. I'd hold your earrings. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take off these earrings, and I'm going to, I will throw hands with a 120-year-old who abused a bunch of kids. Now, her now this study was never actually published. Oh Jesus. It was pretty much covered up to a large extent because uh there was already a lot of concern about the human experimentation being done by the Nazis and they thought this was too close to some of the very bad Nazi experiments and they didn't want to have human experimentation on unwilling children. So I'm just I'm just thinking about my teacher brain is going into I had kids obviously with a variety of speech differences and I taught theater. I taught a speech-based subject. There are always ways to positively reinforce, always ways to improve. And if you have a completely nonverbal kid, and I had several, there are always ways to like make communication with them. This just really pisses me off. But meanwhile, I had theater teachers and singing teachers and all that who would, in fact, do exactly what they did in this experiment. You're doing it wrong. You got to start over now. Are you even thinking before you speak? See, this is why you're never going to succeed in it. Like, these are people who still exist. So yeah. it just, oh. Yeah, this was uh, giving me lots of childhood flashbacks of like, oh, wow, this is exactly how I learned A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, the reason it was called the monster study was because that's what uh, Tudor and Johnson's peers at the University of Iowa were calling it. Like, were they calling the people doing the study monsters? No, the study itself was monstrous. Monstrous. Okay. Yeah, they called it the monster study. And by the way, um, the university... None of them punched Mary Tudor in the face? Uh, There was... An apology issued by the university in the early 2000s. Which university was this? Uh, University of Iowa. Oh, one of those I states. One of those I states that don't matter. Yeah, I can't keep the I states straight, so I just refer to them as those I states that don't matter. And I include Ohio in this because you emphasize the syllable that has I, so obviously it's an I state. No, you I states, you do matter. I'm mostly just mad that I can never keep you separate in my brain. (laughs) Illinois, you're, you're pretty awesome. I love you. I love Chicago. Okay, let's... And of course, they did reach a uh, more than million dollar settlement with the survivors also again in the 2000s. So they would have all been in their 2000s, uh, 70s. 70s to 80s. Yeah, they were old. Did they find the kid who ran away? Yes, she ended up at a uh, like a much harsher like girls reform school. Oh. Yeah. So not a not a great outcome. So let's rate this as a reality show. No. Uh, I gave it a three out of ten. Yeah, there's a certain level... Of abuse that can be entertainment. Yeah, because like I'm looking at this as like a mix between a mix between American Idol and kids say the say the darndest things, in which kids say stuff, and then like Kevin Hart or some very good insult comedian tears them apart mercilessly. You know, this is actually like kind of like early days. Um, America's Got Talent in a way. Oh yeah, because they would like viciously go after some of the truly good acts, but then put through some of the really bad ones. To the point where one time David Hasselhoff, just because he was a judge at the point, at this point, got what was like, you know what, fuck you, and got up and walked off stage, went into his dressing room for at least 20 minutes. I think it was more than 40. And when he came back, his pupils were quite dilated and his speech sounded a little different. <laughs> he did some stuff in that dressing room. 
But okay, uh, I loved the person they put through for that one, but I was actually on the Hoff side. He should not have been put through because their whole their whole uh, talent was being a drag queen. Now, being a drag queen is amazing. They didn't do anything. They were just like, hello, I am a drag queen. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of artistry that goes into those looks. Well, in that case, go up there and do your makeup on stage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that would be actually. I would I say, watch that. I'm. I have absolutely That is what watched... RuPaul's Drag Race is. I have watched videos of people putting on makeup. I would watch that. Oh, and also, it kind of reminded me of Jenna Maroney's uh, America's Kids Got Singing. <laughs> oh, God, no, that's Rock. exactly what this, this is. That's exactly what this is. So, yeah, three out of ten. I don't think it'd work. No. Okay, case number two, uh, Little Albert. Okay, this sounds familiar. Yeah, this was a uh, 1920 experiment, but luckily it wasn't on orphans this time. Uh, the test subject's mother actually agreed to the study and was paid an entire dollar for it, which, uh, adjusted for inflation, is about 20 bucks in today money, <laughs> or roughly enough for, like, a meal for two at, like, a Chili's-level restaurant. So. Uh, that is enough for two Chipotle burritos if one has guac. Yeah. So, uh, his mother actually did work for the school, but it's unclear if she was aware of what exactly they were doing and the extent of, like, what this... Call the experiment called for. Well, was she worked at the school? She worked at the school. She was not a teacher. She was not a teacher. She was a wet nurse. Interesting. Yeah, but like you work at a place, especially a place at the school, you trust what they're gonna do to your yeah. for your kids. You tr you like inherently trust that they are there for your kids, not trying to experiment on or harm your kids. Yeah. So uh, the experiment was based on Pavlov's condition response experiments. Like, mm -hmm. you know, where they'd have, he'd uh, ring a bell, then feed the dog. And you mean like what we do to the cats? Like we do to the cats. And then later on, he'd ring a bell and the dog would start salivating because he was anticipating food. So he conditioned a response of associating the ringing bell with food. That was it, you know. Well, this is going to do the exact same thing. But instead of ringing a bell, it was horror. And instead of a dog, it was a baby. A baby baby. A baby. He was about a year old. Okay, so what is our hypothesis here? So basically, it's we can condition a response in a baby like you do with a dog. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So the way they did this was they would uh, place him with toys and things he liked, things that he usually would have a positive response to. But when he would uh, give him his toy, specifically it was a white rat, uh, they would make a loud noise oh God, next to his head. Oh, God, I remember this now. I remember this. And he would start crying and be oh. afraid. Well, eventually, he would just start crying when uh, he was exposed to his toy or anything that was soft or anything that was white. Oh, I remember this. This poor baby. And he yeah. grew up to be like, and that's the thing is you're not raising babies. You're not raising children. You're raising adults. Yeah. And he's going to grow up to be an adult that has this somewhere in the back of his brain. If he if he doesn't off himself next time he sees something white. Well, also, they made zero efforts to re to reverse the conditioning because you can reverse conditioning. They just didn't. Yeah. I mean, there is like entire places that de uh, decultify you. Go back yeah. to last week's episode. Yeah. So, I mean, the criticisms here should be obvious. First of all, again, when Pavlov did this, he could have easily hurt a dog every time he rang a bell and to get that type of fear response. But he didn't. He did something that wasn't going to harm it, like, for, say, for instance, startling a baby. Yeah, it's like it was at most mild disappointment for the dogs. Yeah, this what this was was just a lazy experiment. You could like very clearly get a baby to cry, but getting some other reaction would have taken more effort and they just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And of course, uh, we don't know if there are any long term effects because we didn't really know who this child was 
until about 2003 when a university uh, decided they were going to do some research into like the subjects of these experiments and trying to figure out who they were to just kind of make like, teach students and of this isn't just a case. This was a person and you need to think of the fact that these are people. So this is and this is a psych department telling kids. Yeah. Thank God, finally. And so they they did some research trying to figure out who this kid was using facial recognition software and like like, you know, uh, payrolls from the time to figure out who this child was, who the parent was. He didn't somehow to grow up to be serial killer Albert Fish, did he? No. Um, it was discovered that they believed to be liver- little Albert died about the age of six. It was not related to the experiment. He w- It was, I think, like an encephaly of the brain is like, he just kind of died. Like he had like swelling around the brain. No, I'm just thinking about how that happens. And that's yeah. not good either. Not good either. But you know, it was 1926. So, or 25, I guess, because he was born. Like encephaly, it either means, I don't have my. Or, sorry, hydrocephaly, I think. Hydrocephaly, he'd be dead long before that. Yeah. He, uh, something happened hydrocephaly in which there was with. swelling around his brain and he died. Yeah. It's like, that's either a really high fever or a head injury, possibly are running away from something white and fluffy. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, we don't know exactly what caused it. They just have like very scant records. But this goes back to like my whole point, though, was you are not raising children. If you're lucky, you're raising adults. You do yeah. not want to fuck them up so badly that you will end up with an Albert Fish or an Ed Kemper or uh, Ed Gein or Edward Cullen. I don't know. Lots of. Yeah. Oh, man, there's lots of. Oh, leave yeah. my dad out of this. <laughs> my dad was awesome. Uh, so as a reality show, I rate this one zero out of ten. Actually, I think there is a reality show that was kind of like this. It was. It was called Jackass featuring Johnny Knoxville. Oh, God. One of them has a restraining order against another one now. It's basically like if Jackass was just Johnny Knoxville uh, being mean to a baby or if Punk was Ashton Kutcher no, playing there pranks was, on a baby. There was. The reason I never liked Jackass was because of a prank. They, I don't like pranks anyway, as you know. But they had a baby carrier, a car seat on top of a car, and then they would drive to see how people reacted. And it's like those social experiments that they do in restaurants and st- shit to see how people around them react. To- I hate stuff like that. Like, but the ba- that one, I, I, I was eleven or twelve. I watched that episode of Jackass, and I was like, "No, I'm done with this show. You're, you're hurting people's hearts." Yeah, and you're so, making them less likely to want to help next time they see something. Yeah. So yeah, zero out of ten. And also like. It's expensive to get child actors. Like one dollar would absolutely not cover it. Your be- your budget would be so much higher than this experiments. Yeah, that's true. So zero out of ten. Nah. Well, I was thinking about doing it like yeah, I had to do it with adults, not children on this. Like negative reinforcement for like we do do a negative reinforcement with adults and kids with certain things, but it's nothing that's gonna hurt you. Like the stuff that tastes bad that they put on your nails to keep you from biting your nails, which by the way does not work. I have gnawed off entire fake nails. Oh, uh, fun thing, you know, on the Nintendo Switch video games, the, like those little cartridges that are tiny yeah. and swallowable, they put an extremely bitter chemical on those so you don't put them in your mouth. Or if you do, you spit it right out and you don't swallow it. Or you automatically swallow it. Yeah. Like it's in your mouth. It's small enough that you might just automatically swallow it. I mean, pennies don't taste great, but I definitely ate one of those yeah. like yesterday. You ate a penny yesterday? It My savings. Good luck. My savings. It's good luck. You're just flushing money down the toilet. We did have to check for that. Yes. <laughs> I was three. <laughs> oh. So are you re- here are some of the honorable mentions, ones that I kind of read, but they were already existing reality shows okay. and I couldn't really do it. Okay. First of all was the Stanford Prison Experiment, the mm-hmm. granddaddy of all the unethical studies, the one we all learn about. It's well known. It's horrifying. It's basically uh, researchers pay- at Stanford paid a bunch of grad students for some of them to be prison guards 
and some of the new prisoners, and they wanted to see how cruel they could get the prison guards to be the prisoners in kind of like an unequal power situation. Yeah, there was a fiction show we watched where they did this too, but I can't remember yeah. what it was. And it's uh, there was some questionable methodology in which like some of the guards didn't want to be cruel, but the researcher stepped and said, "No, you need to be meaner to them. You're not being mean enough." Yeah, and see that I feel like that's interfering with the experiment. Yeah, they interfered a lot with because like if the goal is to see how people behave in these situations and how the effect of herd mentality. You can't have the boss coming in there and tell you, telling you you're doing it wrong. You ha- if you're looking at herd mentality. And there, there's also um a, there's also some questions about the, the students who were prisoners. They thought if they agreed to leave, they wouldn't get paid. There was like a lot of like misinformation at that, and just again bad methodology, and it was never ex- repeated. And it was all Stanford students, so it wasn't a great cross section of humanity. So I used to do psych experiments back in college, um, and it's just really funny to me because you had to do them as part of being in psych classes. But they also taught us about this kind of experiment, so we always like you go into these psych experiments to take like these tests or whatever, knowing that they're not actually testing you on your knowledge of American history. So I'm like. It's how can that not be swaying the results at this point? Yeah. Well, it's it, informed consent is important in these psychological experiments because you can't just like. Well, no, they never inf- like. And I you also need to do, be know you're a part of an experiment. You just need to know you're part of an experiment and they have to forewarn you of any potential lasting injuries. But I mean, these kinds of experiments, they in many cases wouldn't like with little with Albert, they wouldn't know that there would be a lasting thing. They were just being assholes. Yeah. And. Again, uh, the reason I didn't go into this one in depth is because it is already a reality show called The Biggest Loser. Mm. Think about it. You've got the cruel conditions, the uh, unequal balance of power between the trainers and the the people trying to lose weight. It's questionable methodology, very unhealthy. It's just not good. And it's I'm not wrong here. No, like factually, you are not wrong in terms of like actual scientific fact when it comes to diet and nutrition and physical health. It is not good to lose that much weight that quickly no. under any circumstances. And also, oh, fun thing uh, that, you know, that first week, quote unquote, is actually a much larger period of time. They just say it's the first week, but it's not a week. It's much longer than a week. Yeah. Also, like, how do these people have time to take this away from their jobs? Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah. that's what every time I watch a reality show, I'm like, how are you able to take this time away from work? Okay. Next up, we have the Harry Harlow monkey experiments. Uh, basically, these were uh, experiments about maternal instincts and mothers and how we react to our, like, you know, parenting. They took rhesus monkeys and gave them surrogate mothers. Some of them had mo- mothers that were soft and made of wool mm-hmm. and, like, you know, friend-shaped. Mm-hmm. Others had mothers that were made of chicken wire. Yep, I remember this. Now, um... Look, I understand that we could absolutely find a hundred parents willing to let their kids be raised by cold bell robots for a chance at reality TV stardom, but monkeys, America would not accept us being mean to monkeys. All right. So the goal of the experiment was to see the effects of warmth and softness. What, yeah. What warmth the... and soft, basically like having something like a, a comforting figure versus having a harsh, not comforting figure. And these monkeys, like they loved their soft mothers and the ones that didn't have soft mothers had the wire mothers were just terrified messes. Like they didn't like they were just crazy. Could it potentially be because they couldn't regulate their body temperatures or sleep appropriately, considering Reese's monkeys sleep like that, sleep together? Yeah, they just didn't. In my have, knowledge, they didn't have a comforting figure. It was not a great experiment. But wait, isn't this basically what the circle was, though? <laughs> yeah, replacing your friends with the circle. Well, no, it's like you've got the nice, the ones that seem nice and soft, and you've got the ones that seem harsh. 
But at the end, there none of them is your real mother. None of them is actually yeah. your friend. It's the the game. It's all about the game, bitches. But still, yeah, I think if straight up, you could absolutely do this to children on a reality show. I have no doubt that this could happen. But if it was like this experiment and we were just having monkeys that we're being mean to, it would never pass. No one would do it. Isn't there a like a short story in Martian Chronicles or I Am Robot or something that where the kids are raised by the robots as opposed oh, yeah. to their moms? Uh, there's uh, I Robot. There is like a child gets like their dad buys a robot because the like big cool thing and the kid becomes friends with it. See, I'm pretty sure there's one though where they raised by the robots. Oh. Or I think it was a Bradbury novel. Maybe. Novella. Uh, anyway, let's keep yeah, going. Let's keep going. All right. Then uh, the fu- the final honorable mention was the uh, the facial expression experiments from 1924, by, done by Carney Landis. Uh, basically, there was research into facial expressions to see if there was a constant physiological reaction to different stimuli, like happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, etc. Just like, you know, oh, whenever you get shocked, like your eyebrows will raise, or if you're sad, there's going to be a specific muscle in your face that will tense up. See if there were similarities between different people and their physical responses to different emotions. Okay. They did. He did it by, like, you know, in, by getting the reactions in people and photographing their faces, and they'd have, like, little uh, lines drawn on their face to help accentuate muscle groups and stuff to track the changes better. Yes, that is something that I would assume is largely the basis of how we teach emotion to people with needs who have difficulty recognizing facial expressions. Yeah. Well. But I have a feeling they didn't do it in a nice way. One of the things they did to elicit a response was beheading a live rat. No, Uh, I'm not good with that. Specifically asking the subject to behead a live rat. Nope. And if the subject wouldn't, the doctor would behead the rat in front of you. Nope. Uh, And again, this wouldn't work. And they already did it. It was called Fear Factor. I loved Fear Factor. Um, also, uh, note okay, here. Okay, in Fear Factor, though, they never they never had you hurt the animals. They scared you with the animals. Yeah. You were never in any actual danger from those roaches or rats or whatever. I could have handled the rats crawling over my face. I could not have handled the roaches. Yeah. Also, uh, side note on this, Joe Rogan is five foot three. Fight me on this. What does that have to do with this? Uh, uh, Joe Rogan was the host of Fear Factor. Was he? Yeah. Podcast guy. Host of Fear Factor. 5'3". I had no idea that he was the host of Fear Factor. I actually really liked that show. Yeah. Fuck you, Joe Rogan. Fear Factor and The Man Show. Just like the weird relics of the- The Man Show was Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. And after they got done hosting it, they brought in Joe Rogan and some other guy. Oh, Jesus. Men, why? Okay, even I- Okay. I know I was too young to really understand it, but I enjoyed the man show. I was, you know, 13, 14 when it was on. It was Jimmy Kimmel and uh, and Adam Carolla. I always thought it was kind of funny. It has not aged well. Oh, I'm sure it hasn't. But I stopped watching when they brought in the new guys. I didn't know who yeah. they were. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is like everywhere in the early 2000s. And it's just he gets progressively weirder and grosser. Joe wrote. OK, it's like I know like it's a very divisive podcast topic, but I'm pretty sure you guys can figure out why we don't like Joe Rogan. And it's not because he's five foot three, but being five foot three might play into why we don't like Joe Rogan because of his personality. Yeah. Because the last guy we knew who was five foot three, who was an awful lot like Joe Rogan. Yeah. Finally, he comes up again in mine, too. So kind of like a Napoleon complex. Except for the fact that Napoleon was actually at or slightly above average height for the era. Yep. See, I told you you knew stuff about Napoleon. Um, And they believe that the reason they think that he was so short was not, in fact, because they he put himself with tall people like I believed, but because of political cartoons at the time. Yep. English propaganda. Mm-hmm. So 
let's get to my winner. The the uh, based on my very rigorous, very scientific, not at all just my uninformed opinion and me bullshitting with shitting with numbers in a way I find entertaining. My winner of I think the best unethical scientific experiment to turn into a reality TV show. It is the Robbers Cave experiment. So, uh, Muzaffar Sharif uh, did this experiment in Oklahoma in the mid-50s. Uh, 22 11-year-old boys were divided up into two groups and told they were going to a special summer camp in Robert in Robbers Cave State Park in Oklahoma. Did they Lord of the Flies these kids? Now, each group did not know of the other group's existence at first. They were just doing regular camp stuff, like like 1950s camp stuff, like kayaking, archery, you know, hikes, whatever. Camp so, stuff. Camp stuff that they also would do today because they would take away your phones. Yeah, and they were, uh, they gave these groups, these boys, like, time to bond with each other and, like, just kind of become, like, friends. Then the two groups were brought together to compete against each other. Uh, and they also kept score, even though the the uh, the researchers actually did manipulate things to keep the scores close and kind of increase the tension between the groups. This sounds like backstage at the at, during the original production of West Side Story. Yeah. Which I like that's when I'm like, I wonder how they ended up the people who were in the original production of West Side Story. Yeah, there was instant animosity between these groups and like not just during the contest, which, by the way, the contests quickly became very personal. And like they were like getting rough with each other when they were competing against each other in games. Uh, and it was not just during these contests, too. When it, when the uh, researchers who were posing as counselors asked them uh, their, about the other groups, uh, they described them negatively. Even if they were asked about individuals from this other group, uh, they only de- described their bad characteristics and in negative ways. And so researchers then tried to see if they if saying nice things about the other group would change people's minds. Like, oh, yeah, uh, little, you know, little Johnny's great at baseball. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to crush him. So you're telling me that the fake rivalries we set up between schools is not a good idea. It is not. The only thing that helped was getting both groups to work together to achieve a common goal. And how far did they have to go with that goal? Did they have to have like somebody drowning or some shit? I think they there was like a it's like, hey, there's a minor emergency and we need you guys to do this like task together. And they got together and worked to complete a task and the animosity between the groups went down. So, yeah, now this doesn't sound as bad as making monkeys sad, torturing grad students, or uh, shattering the confidence of orphans. But what made it unethical was the lack of informed consent. None of these kids know, knew that they were in an experiment. Did their parents know? Their parents didn't know either. What the actual fuck? Who sued who? Yeah. Oh, no one. It was the 50s. All right. So, yeah, it was, again, it's important that people know that they're in experiments. Even if it's a control group, they need to know they're in an experiment. It's ethical to let people know they're in experiments. I cannot stress this enough. All right. So, Austin, um, I've been meaning to talk to you then about our marriage. <gasps> Wait. So the electrodes you make me wear while I sleep aren't just like, you know. They're, no, those are there to help you sleep. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Oh, good. I can't tell you what parts of the experiment there are. I'm just telling you that the marriage as a whole is an experiment. So when you make me sit down every night to press the button that tortures uh, a stranger in a different country. Oh, that's not an experiment. That's just something I need done. So you're, what you're saying is, wait, so I can eat without pressing the button? No. Oh, dang it. The two things are directly connected, but I actually just really need that person to get uh, to get tortured. It's part okay. of my contract. and. I mean, I need my, I, I need a chance to go to the good place. And since I'm not the one touching the button, I figure this helps. Whoa. So 
Man, can we at least like change up the button? Can it be like a switch or like be more fun? Can there be like streamers that pop out when I press the button now? No, because then I'd have to disassemble the button. Fine. So this experiment, I gave it a nine out of 10. Oh yeah, no, this is a real reality show already. Yeah, it's like- It's It's every reality show. It is a lot like Survivor, but it's not where people get voted off. No, no, no. You just have them come together thinking they're on Survivor or something that's a ripoff of Survivor. And then they're competing against the other group and like to get money for their team. And the winning team takes home the pot. I feel like this is America's Next Top Model. But then the twist at the end is, hey, you guys can either, you know, they've been competing against each other this entire time. It's like, hey, but if you come together and complete and compete this challenge, you'll all split all the money or there'll be a or they'll be competing against each other to see who gets all the money. Which one do you think they're going to choose? See, that's a twist on a reality show. No, so you're asking, um, would they decide, like, work together, you'll all split the money evenly, or compete, and you'll split the money just with your own team? Yeah. But you have a significant... See, I actually, like I said, I do MTurk, and I actually get asked this question very often. This is actually a, an experiment they're doing over and over and over, um, that you fake money, or sometimes it's actually real money. Like, yeah. you can get extra money for how you answer the questions. I always go 50 50. Mm-hmm. I always do. Be- and I would in real life too. Like, I can't see this other person. I'm only assuming there is another person. Yeah, I know. So I think this would be a cool reality show based on an unethical experiment. I think it would work. But see, when it comes to reality TV, I'm not there to make friends. No, you're not there to make friends. You're there to win. I am a gladiator, not an ambassador. I still don't understand why the circle kept trying to make allies. I'm like, what is the purpose of this? Because they've watched too much reality TV. I mean, there was at one point when allies did become legitimately important. But... Yeah. <laughs> Once. And most of the time it was just, oh, God. I love the, like, the one of the best winning strategies in the entire circle was just head empty, no thoughts. And it worked. See, for me, it was uh, catfishing a second time. Uh, like going in as an anonymous person and catfishing as someone else entirely as that. I'm like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. The show's been off for a while. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like been almost a year. It's cool. We can actually, I have no idea. It has been time has no what meaning. What we're saying has no meaning. Yeah. So in conclusion, we've done stuff. Some of it, not so great. Some of it, very not so great. Well, like we didn't even talk about the one where they did the, uh, electrocution stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the the Milgram experiment? Yeah, where they actually did it to the point where they had the fake people, the people who weren't actually getting shocked, of course, but they had them pretend to fucking die. Yeah, it's like, these are lethal levels of shocks. You must give them. And again, what was it? One person locked out, I think, and they had one person left. And there was like... But uh, that also has to go... That goes back to it's a power dynamics slash culty situation. Yeah. Especially if it's your own professor telling you to do this. I don't know how that specific one was set up, but... Yeah, I I, I looked at that one and I thought, oh, there's no way this one could ever be fun enough for a reality show. So I just kind of skipped it. I didn't look into it too deeply. You're you're giving me a look. Oh, no, that would absolutely work as a reality show. Oh, my God. Was my mistake in having too much faith in humanity... Well, like there are, re- there have been reality shows, like even, um, like the circle, you could choose people you liked or didn't like to reward or punish them in some way. And you were told you had to, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. And so going in further on this, um, it does showcase the importance of well thought out and ethical experiments, because if an experiment can't be replicated because of harmful effects, it's not a good experiment. Like, being able to replicate an experiment is an important part of peer review. And if it's like, oops, we tortured orphans, it's not a good experiment. 
how how can you say oops we tortured orphans that is literally like, what happened in the I monster know, experiment like, i know but like at what point at this did you think you know what seems like a good idea well, oh, the especially re- like the rest if you know the rest of the people in your psychology department are saying that your experiment is monstrous also why is your university funding this Oh, oh, another fun thing. You know the reason they were experimenting on orphans? Because nobody would miss them? Because they were cheap and readily available. It was like the Walmart of experiment choices. So, like, seriously, given a slight change in venue, these people would have been serial killers. Yeah. Because they would have been like, oh, so this person is homeless. No one will miss them. Yeah. I'm glad you got into that because I feel like if you're just like hell bent on doing some completely unethical like research, the best way to do it is fake reality show. It's like people will do anything on a reality show. So you could 1 million percent just have your like, you know, people doing the experiment with your as the camera crews and producers and getting people to do crazier and crazier stuff for a reality show. And nobody would have to know. I mean, there are a lot of reality shows where the people weren't told until afterwards. Like, they have to sign off to be on TV. They don't have to sign off to be in the show to begin with. Yeah. But you could just say, like, oh, yeah, we're doing a reality show. Anyway, I need you to shock an orphan. It's like, for ten thousand, a chance at $10,000. It's like, they'd do it. Absolutely. Okay, describe the word shock, because I'm good at surprising people. <laughs> oh, no, this is electrical shocks. Oh. We're um, going to electrical. You're needing to shock an orphan with near fatal amounts of electricity every time they stutter. And also, we're giving monkeys drugs now. How old is the orphan? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> Are we talking Does, about- Wait, wait. I need to know if the age of the orphan is going to impact whether or not you're going to shock them. Well, I mean, you technically become an orphan the moment you have no remaining parents. So we could be talking about a 120-year-old Mary Tudor getting what she fucking deserves. Okay, I'm on board. You've convinced me. So we're going to be doing some unethical experiments. That's our next episode. I'm going to find that bitch. Okay, what was the guy's name? Because he gets it too. Uh, Wendell Johnson. Wendell Johnson's coming. I'm coming for you too. I only remember Mary Tudor because, you know, British royal family thing. But I'm coming for you too, Johnson. I'm coming. (laughs) So, yeah. So, again, I guess. um, So, we're filming a reality show, everybody. So, get in contact with us on Twitter and uh, for your chance to be... America's America's next top psychological experiment. <laughs> Cause oh my god, you I feel like you could write a paper on the makeover episodes of America's Next Top Model. What they have made some of these poor women go through. Oh, 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 oh. like you're at the whims of Tyra. Okay, so psychological like there have actually been like psychological studies on this. Uh your hair, uh and I'll, I'll wait. Oh, okay, go ahead. Your hair is, like, essential to your sense of self. Yes. Um, Which is part of, you know, why men freak out when they start to go bald, why women freak out when they start to go gray, and men too as well. Um, And it's part of why it's actually considered a major form of abuse to cut your child's hair as punishment. Um, And it's what we did to, like, Native American people as well, is we cut their hair to, like, make them look more American. Um, and Tyra Banks is just in there like, okay, how can I fuck with your hair? And you could tell immediately how much she liked you by how much she messed with your hair. And then there was the one who she made shave her teeth, but. Oh, oh God, that was horrifying. 
So are you ready for questions? I'm just thinking about America's Next Top Model now. So here's some questions that um, we're not asking you to answer these questions. We're asking whether or not these questions will be on the test. So mm -hmm. will this be on the test? Will Orphan... Wait, is this a psych class or a film studies class? That's a good question. Because I feel like I'm talking film studies class here. Okay. Not psych. But it might be psych. I don't know. It depends on if you're in the control group or not. Okay. Wait, am I also being experimented on? Are we both in experiments it's with each other? It's a double blind, baby. <laughs> I don't think that the researchers are supposed to be the blind ones here. I'm off the rails. We're doing this old school. So, uh, will the fact that orphan experimentation was not really frowned upon until after the Nazis be on the test? I learned about that in college, so... Uh, yeah. Well, the fact that we do so many experiments on children beyond the test. Learned about that one in high school. Yep. Well, the fact that the biggest loser is just the Stanford prison experiment beyond the test. It needs to be. Like, we need to talk about how dangerous that show yeah. is. Or was. I don't know if it's still in the air. And, um, it's, it's horrifying. Maybe 2020 killed it, but I doubt we're that lucky. So, yeah. Those are my questions. And yeah, just again, Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus. You need a reality show, oh Disney my Plus. Oh, no, they do. It was that, um, well, it was kind of a reality show. It was that one where they went back to people's high schools and had them get back together with their high school theater department. And I had to stop watching it because of um, how, how upset it made me. So, yeah, that's. Because of the psychological stuff they were. D Remember me actually saying that? Yeah, you had to stop watching it. It's like, as you all know, I was a theater kid and I was a theater teacher. And these people haven't seen each other in, I think the most recent was five years. And there was another one that was like 30 years. And they were the best because they did not give any fucks anymore. But, you know, a lot of them are still dealing with trauma from high school, plus trauma from their everyday lives. To build up the kind of relationship you need to have to go into the stuff they were going into on the show, it takes weeks. And they did this in five days. And so you got people, they're like breaking. But I also think they should have put the techies on there. Yeah. The techies were just as important as the actors. Anyway. So Austin covered a psychs topic this week. And so am I. Ooh. Yeah. We very rarely end up in the same, like even general area. I've actually been wanting to cover this for a solid year. And I know that for a fact because I checked my email earlier and found an email I'd written or <laughs> I'd gotten that was in relation to this. So today, and uh, I was originally going to be talking about a different psych thing today to the point where Austin's co-worker saw my requests coming into the library and asked if I was okay. Yeah. And I started reading him, and I am going to get to this topic, but I actually got like physically ill reading part of it. So uh, enjoy. That's coming up. Oh, good. So I need to take a break and do something more fun where I get to uh, rage. I, I rage typed during this, as Austin can tell you. <laughs> yeah. So today I'm talking about IQ, intelligence quotient. Ooh. When we talk about IQ, we tend to think about it meaning how smart someone is and how it's a huge predictor of future success. If you have a low IQ, you won't succeed and you will always have a low IQ. And if you have a high IQ, you will succeed and you will always have a high IQ. That's how we think of it. Um, and there is something to it, meaning how quote unquote smart you are, but there are huge gaps and caveats I'm going to talk about. And ultimately it doesn't even mean smart. It means how quickly and how efficiently you can take in and use information and solve puzzles using basic logic and make predictions and, and, and remember things. Yeah. So it's basically kind of what kind of processing system your brain is on. And there are people who actually argue against the part where it's like how fast you can do it, um, which I actually lean towards. It has how fast you can do something has no bearing on how intelligent you are. Yes. Because 
there are so many reasons you might not do something as quickly. Like if English is not your first language, you are going to do something more slowly, but it doesn't mean you're not going to do it better or more efficiently than somebody who's big. But we'll get into it. We also, okay, I already mentioned that you tend to think it's fixed. That's called a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is dangerous. What you should have is a growth mindset. Now, if you're a teacher, you're probably rolling your eyes right now going, well, those are buzzwords. Yes, they are. I will give you that. But these are actually important ones. And that is speaking as somebody who grew up and through their 20s had an incredibly fixed mindset. Things are what they are. My abilities are my abilities. If I can't do something quickly, then I'm never going to be able to do it. So I'm just going to stop right now. It took me learning to work with kids and seeing how much of an impact telling them they could you know, how they were going to be okay could have me realize, oh, I need to start believing I can be okay. <laughs> so if you have this fixed mindset, and like if you take an IQ test and you get a below average score, you might think I'm not smart enough, so I shouldn't even try. On the other end, if you take an IQ test and you get a really high score, you'll think nothing's ever going to be difficult for me, so I might as well not even try. So this number, just this number by itself is enough to get you stuck somewhere. So I'm going to talk about the history of IQ tests, their uses, why they're important, because they are, and how they're flawed. The first IQ test okay. was created by Alfred Binet in the early 1900s at the request of the French government. At this point, the French government had just passed laws saying all children had to go to school. And they're like, oh, shit, we need to figure out how we can best educate them because now we've got kids with like different literacy levels and different needs like because this is the first time I said every single child needs to attend school which means kids who you know are 12 years old and have never been to school and have been had never learned to read or write are suddenly in sixth grade I'm like I'm getting so nervous about this because this could go one of two ways and one is very awful so along with Theodore Simon our it's French, so maybe it's pronounced Simone. differently. Binet began creating a test not about what is taught in school, but about problem solving, memory, and attention. This is far different from the standardized tests we make kids take, which are, uh, especially the SAT and the ACT, are supposed to show your ability to succeed in college. But in fact, they just kind of showed how well you remember stuff you learned when you were freshman year of high school. And also uh, how well you're and how much uh, test prep your parents could afford to put you through. Exactly. Um, and there is some issues with IQ tests that come with that as well. But yeah, the SAT and the ACT are not predictors of college success. They they just show how good you are at taking that particular test. Binet's IQ test would have been more effective for this. Uh, as Binet and Simon tested their questions on kids, who I assume were informed that I did not come up, they realized some children were able to answer advanced questions while some children weren't. Instead of having one specific number, Binet created a mental age based on the average scores of children in the individual aid groups. It's important to say right away, Binet never said this was a perfect test. And he said that the whole concept is completely limited. Yes. Binet is one of the few heroes in today's story. I couldn't find anything. Oh. Please don't ruin this oh, for no. me. Despite it being the early 1900s, when many people refused to acknowledge that people of different backgrounds could have different abilities based on their experiences and not their innate gifts or lack thereof, Binet straight up said you could only compare it, use it to compare to kids of similar backgrounds. So he was like, okay, if I'm taking the mental age and the 
uh, ability. I can't test a rich kid who grew up with an education to a kid who just happens to be the same age and has never been to school before. Those are not equivalent things. They should not be tested against each other. Binet in the early 1900s recognized that the background you come from affects your current state. <laughs> what? Like, we're still having trouble with this, like, today. Yeah. Yeah. He also made it very clear that IQ can change over time. And the concept is influenced by a lot of factors. And he recognized that the motivation to do well on the test to begin with would affect your score. If you didn't want to, if you didn't care about taking the test, you were going to randomly answer. You're just going to get through with it. So it actually wasn't. He was like, uh, he's like, if you have a kid who is the correct level of motivated, he's like, he's like, this is not a perfect test, but this is a baseline. Okay, I think you accidentally did an experiment on me with this when we get to the end. So remind me about that. After a few years, the test made its way to the U.S., where Lewis Terman of Stanford University got hold of it. Now, remember the name of the test I had you take earlier? Yeah. The Stanford Binet. Stanford Binet. Um, I have a feeling if our good friend Alfred Binet could have, he would have come to the States and punched Lewis Terman in the face and not let his name be on this. Because I want to list out what Very Well Mind says Terman is best known for. Genetic studies of genius. Educational psychology pioneer. Further development and refinement of the Binet-Simon IQ test. Mental testing. And eugenics. <sighs> there we go. So, yeah, uh, just so you know, the dude who adapted the IQ test for Americans and played a major role in early educational soci- psychology was super into eugenics. Bro gave a test in English to Spanish-speaking students and to undereducated Black students. So this is a like an academically written test to kids who had spent very little time in school. Then he said that the scores they got on these were not because they hadn't been taught the things on the test and not because they couldn't read English, but because... They were inherently incapable of being as intelligent as the white kids who took the test, who spoke English as a first language, and who had every opportunity. He also was a huge fan of forced sterilization on those whom he considered mentally unfit. Oh, God. Guys, this person is a huge reason that we have IQ tests in the United States. Now, I'm not mad we have IQ tests. I'm actually going to talk about why I'm not mad about it later. But this guy pioneered a lot of educational psychology that is still used by people today. And you have heard, like, not our specific grandparents, but people our grandparents' age being like, well, you know that they're just born not as smart as us. They proved it back then. Oh, yeah. You can't get on a uh, Facebook comment thread without seeing that in some Mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. So instead of using the test for the original reason, which was to show which kids may need additional support in school. That was all Binet was trying to do was say, okay, this is where this kid is compared to their classmates. This is uh, so they're going to need additional support or this kid is at or above where where the average. They're not going to need additional support. That is all the test was supposed to do, which is why the test itself is not inherently bad. Um, But, you know, who is inherently bad is Lewis fucking Terman. Yeah. So instead of using that test for that reason, Terman decides to focus it like because it was to help kids who needed assistance in school. He instead used it to focus on the kids who scored way above average. He wrote a book called The Gifted Child Grows Up, 25 Years Follow-Up of a Superior Group. 
Oh, no. No. I am a huge, huge fan and advocate for gifted education. I think it is important. I believe there are kids who will not thrive in school without the additional challenges afforded by gifted education. I was in gifted programs on and off through school. I moved a lot as a kid. I think they're very important. Being gifted doesn't mean you're superior. Fuck anyone who tells you it does. And that goes doubly for that five foot three motherfucker who came up in our last segment, probably also Joe Rogan, but the one I mentioned, yeah, who had parents and teachers saying, because your IQ is so high, you're more important than everyone else. I'm like, mm, okay, so which one of us got a real job? Yeah. Uh, or so more he, importantly, which one of you got a job? This, per- this is a person who made me feel bad for a very long time. Yeah, we're just being mean. We love it. You can join us. This person deserves it. Yes, yes, they do. They were they were mean to everybody. I actually like repeated to them re- over and over, no one cares how you how smart you are if you treat them like shit. No one cares how smart you are. You walk up to somebody and say, I'm a genius. They're like, okay, Good for you. great, stop punching me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Terman's totally not biased study, which he definitely thought was true science, um, since he was absolutely unwilling to accept criticism... Decided the ones with high IQs tend to be healthier, taller, what, and have better social skills than those with lower IQs. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, a certain Sheldon Cooper from Big, Big Theory would like to disagree with um, us. He was tall and healthy, and his social skills did improve as time went on. Okay. Oh, wow. <gasps> but that was with appropriate socialization with people of varying IQs and Backgrounds. And I still would fight anybody for the idea that Penny is the smartest out of all of them. I wouldn't say she's the smartest. I think she just had a more, a more, a broader life experience. Yeah. And that at the end of the day is actually what matters. Yeah. Not the broadness of your life experience, but your ability to adapt to new life experiences. But I'll get into that as well. Um, so the one good thing to come out of all of his studying is the belief that many kids... Um, there are kids who need to be challenged more in schools who are the quote unquote gifted kids and that they should be identified early and have those needs met just as much. And he didn't put this part, but that's just as much as the kids on the other end who might need additional supports. He only cared about the, about the gifted kids. His version of IQ tests called the Stanford Binet remains one of the most widely used, though it's obviously undergone modifications since then today. This test is still used to determine how intelligent someone is. Ugh. A eugenics guy. Um, and also there's the average IQ is going up, but that's a whole other thing I'm not going to get into. Um, just got on time. Uh, this is one of those times when I talk a lot because about where somebody can both positively contribute to society and be total garbage. That is what he was. His test did contribute to society in the way, in the sense that it gave kids a chance to be challenged in school they didn't have before and hopefully also the other end applied like it was supposed to with Benet. but also he was into eugenics and deserves to be kicked in the balls until he's sterile i will fight him too i bet he's also about like 130 i will i'm gonna go fight a bunch of like let's let's raise these motherfuckers and i'm gonna fight them i've got a bat and a katana ready to go uh, cool, cool. I'll go grab the player's handbook and start researching the necromancy spells. Perfect. Which, by the way, uh, during the Satanic Panic, they thought that those spells in Dungeons and Dragons were real spells, mm-hmm. and they were going to accidentally raise the dead. All right. Uh, the Stanford Binet test, unlike the previous one, used a standard number to show IQ. It was determined 
by dividing a person's mental age by their chronological age, then multiplying by 100. So basically, the average was still, was still you know, 100. Uh, so do you see the problem, though, with his scoring method when stacked against his beliefs in eugenics and the idea that you can nurture and grow someone's abilities? Yes. If IQ is hereditary, which he has stated, then your score shouldn't change over time because you can't change your genes. But if you can nurture and grow your IQ, it can't possibly be fully genetic. <laughs> but we can't criticize him. Apparently he threw tantrums if you did. Uh, that, that seems absolutely right. Well, then this got adapted for use in adults and somehow things get worse. How? Enter Robert Yerkes. Yerkes? Yerkes, Yerkes, something like that. He is the guy who had the first uh, primate lab in the United States. Oh. Probably where your fucking experiment was done because you're yeah. going to love this guy. In 1917, Yerkes what, uh, created the Army Alpha and Beta tests. The Alpha was a written test while the Beta was a visual test for Army recruits who had low literacy or spoke English as an additional language. The goal was to get an idea of who was going to be suited for what job. To be clear, there is no link whatsoever between IQ and the type of job you might be good at, as jobs require different skill sets and amounts of emotional intelligence, not some random ass number. But I can give them a pass for not being aware of it yet, 1917. And it may seem fairly progressive on the surface for them to recognize that the tests may need to be adapted to different needs. You know, we had the written, we had the visual. I was so ready to be like, okay, good, that Lewis dude is gone. We have this guy. But then I clicked on his profile on Very Well Mind, and he was also a eugenicist. Ah. Once the war was over, the um, government... And everybody else like, you know what else we can use these for? So the war is over. World War One, It's over. We got all these tests. What can we use them for? What can we have these experts evaluate that would benefit us as white people? I know. Immigrants. Oh. Oh, no. Did you know that when they when people after World War One began entering the country, they were given IQ tests? I feel like I vaguely knew that, but I've right. forgotten. So, guys, I mentioned earlier that I was researching something else for this week and got physically ill and had to, like, take a break. Last week, I was going to do our immigration system and actually did get physically ill reading what we make them go through now. And I decided to not do that topic. Yeah, she's been having a lot of strikeouts on research. Just like oh, the, the one I'm working on right now, it will come together. I just needed a mental break from the... Um, it's a lot. From what I was reading about people doing yeah. animals. I saw some abstracts and it's like, oh, no. Yeah. So they gave these tests to people as they entered the U.S. And Yerkes insisted they determined natural intelligence, to use his phrase. If someone looks at the actual questions, it clearly requires a certain level of education and the ability to understand English fluently. Even the visual one, you have to have a certain level of education to understand kind of what's happening there. And if you don't have a word for something, you it doesn't exist for you. Like, if you don't know what you're looking at, then you just get stuck. But using these tests allowed supposed experts to petition Congress to set immigration restrictions based on sweeping generalizations made about people from different countries. And unfortunately, these beliefs pervade even today, after all, because no one would lie to Congress. What? That's never happened. Certainly, um... Um, possible android and alleged lizard per person, Mark Zuckerberg, would never lie to Congress. All right, though. Then we have David Wexler. Am I going to be sad? In the 1930s, Wexler looked at the Stanford Binet and went, what the damn hell? 
Like Benet, he didn't think that having a single score makes sense, and the emphasis on how fast people could work out problems was overblown, and duh, the test was made for kids and never should have been considered valid for adults in the first place. (laughs) So Wexler's new version was closer to the original Benet one, with more than one hard number and instead comparing, uh, providing a profile of strengths and weaknesses. There is a hard number, but it was more a comparison of people based on their own age group rather than based on the test. How do you compare to other people who have taken this test, not to how we assume that the test results will be, basically? Wexler is not a eugenicist as far as I could tell. Oh, thank God. Again, if I'm wrong, tweet me, let me know. But I I read stuff. I did not find anything about him being a eugenicist. Uh, this is where the idea that the average IQ is 100 truly comes from. In fact, he assigned the average number as 100 and just moved people to and from there. He could have set it at 10. He could have set it at 1,000. 100 is just kind of where he put it as opposed to doing like the weird math formulas. Uh, but he did find that two-thirds of people scored between 85 and 115. His test, called the we- called the WEX, W-A-I-S, Um, for Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale, was officially published in 1955. He also created one for children. Actually, that one might be called The Ways. Uh, This one's called The There's, I know one is called The Wex. Uh, This one's W-I-S-C. And also one for very little kids, like toddlers and not much older, called W-P-P-S-I. They've all been revised over time. Like, you know how that sometimes they realize that a kid is like, entering kindergarten that they probably need to be in the gifted program it's they've probably taken a test like this one maybe not this one but like it and it'll be different from the one for third graders which will be different from the one for seventh graders um and then starting in middle high school is when they consider you an adult for this the adult version especially has been revised several times with the most recent one being the uh fourth version the fifth version is expected i believe this is the one where the fifth version is expected to come out this well actually this to come out last year but you know things happened um, today it is one of the most common types of IQ test given. It has 10 core subtests, five supplemental subtests, two overall scores, which are an IQ score and a general ability index, provides scores on perceptual reasoning, processing speed, verbal comprehension, and working memory. The WAIS is for teens and adults. Oh, yeah, and the new version should be coming out soon. Um, so the Stanford Binet and the that one are two of the most common ones. There are actually seven commonly used ones. The two wazes, ones for kids, ones for adults. Stanford Binet, Kaufman, Cognitive Assessment System, Differential Ability Scales, and Woodcock-Johnson. <laughs> what? There are also additional tests for people in different situations. So, like, if they're testing to see if you have a specific kind of disability, for instance, they'll have a specific test for you. Um... The ones I've heard of being used most recently are Wexler's and Woodcock Johnson, <laughs> but Stanford Binet does sometimes show up. I'm about to get into the names of the people who created Woodcock Johnson, so uh, just bear with me because I'm at least you don't have to look at Austin while you do this. <laughs> trying not to laugh into the microphone. Woodcock Johnson has been used for people of all ages. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh God, I hope not. Oh no. <laughs> And it frequently helps determine if kids need additional assistance or additional challenge. This is a test that is supposed to do both. Also, like Wexler's, 
It tests a variety of specific skills, including comprehension, long-term memory, visual spatial ability, auditory ability, fluid reasoning, processing speed, short-term memory, quantitative ability, reading, writing ability. So kind of a lick, uh, like a mix of Gardner's multiple intelligences. And I know there's some debate over my boy Gardner's multiple intelligence theory, and if somebody's able to show me something better, I'll accept it. But at this moment, it is my ride or die. Also, I once was at a party drinking and got very excited over lemon bars with this other woman uh, who turned out to be Howard Gardner's wife. I found it afterwards. <laughs> my friend's like, do you know who you were just drunkenly talking about lemon bars? And I'm like, yeah, she is really nice. And they're like, that was Howard Gardner's wife. I'm like, well, she was also excited about the lemon bars. <laughs> Like, she didn't seem weird. I think, like, I, I am not going to say I believe she was drinking as well, because I don't know. But she was she was very excited about the lemon bars to the unnatural level that I was. So, oh, my God, there are lemon bars in our fridge still. I need to get drunk and eat some lemon bars. I lost my spot. Hold on. So the, this test, the Woodcock-Johnson, consists of 10 to 20 tests, depending on if you're doing the standard battery or full battery. It was created in 1977 by Richard Woodcock- Dick Woodcock and Mary E. Bonner Johnson. Boner Johnson. Bonner. I'm not going to pronounce this correctly and you can't make me. It has been updated a few times since then. And that is the long and short of <laughs> what I could find about it. You did that to me on purpose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm sure that if I had dug for several more hours, I could have found more on the history of it. I did see some mention that uh, Johnson's contributions are a little bit uh, under question, but I didn't dig into it because it didn't seem especially important. So it didn't get so Woodcock Johnson get, didn't get in too deep. Well, we know for a fact Woodcock did. Johnson's, you know, the study was a little limp. Yeah. Well, nobody really knows whether she was in or out. <laughs> on most tests. 100 is still considered average. Across all tests, 68% of people fall between 85 and 115, and 95% fall between 70 and 130. IQ of 70 tends to be the lowest you can go without definitively declaring there's a disability if you can't find another diagnosable one. So this is confusing, guys. Um, so there are kids in special education with specific diagnoses like autism spectrum disorder or Down syndrome. But then there are kids in there who have something um, that's usually kind of referred to as some term followed by not otherwise specified, which basically means this kid has an issue similar to this. So there is like there is one that's really similar to autism that's not otherwise specialized, uh, not otherwise specified. But Austin's watching my arms do my like I'm my like bird thing right now. Basically, there's a point at which your IQ is low enough that you need extra assistance, but they don't know why your IQ is the number it is. There is not a diagnosis that goes with it. So they just have you as kind of there's a term that they use for it. And I'm not entirely sure if it is still that term. So I'm not going to use it. But I do know that until recently, at least, a word that we grew up saying that is absolutely not okay to say was still technically a term. Um, but I can't tell you when that stopped or if that stopped. Um, but it does just basically mean if your IQ is below 70, chances are you're going to end up in special education. If it's in the 70s, you might still end up in a special education. It kind of just depends what your needs are. You will have kids in special education who are there for something that is just one thing. Too. You'll have, you could have... And we have kids who are dual exceptional, kids who qualify for both special education and the gifted program simultaneously. Now, we tend to think that this must only apply to kids on the autism spectrum because we've all seen Rain Man 
It doesn't. You can have pretty much any learning challenge and also have a significantly above average IQ. Like, no matter what anybody tells you guys, having dyslexia does not mean you're stupid. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Stop letting people tell you that. If they do, call me. I will stop fighting these zombie people who are mean in the 30s and I will come fight them because you're not stupid because you have dyslexia or ADHD or whatever that has no effect on your intelligence whatsoever. And you can qualify for both gifted and special education at the same time. Um, sorry, I get I get really upset when people, you know, say shit like that. Um, and then about 130 tends to be the minimum for gifted acceptance. The minimum in most cases for Mensa is 132. However, your score varies based on the test. And your IQ alone does not mean you are disabled, gifted, typical, or anything else. In fact, an IQ test score for most people could be completely meaningless. Because what is the goal of it? To determine if someone needs help. There is not supposed to be a number attached to everybody. Hell, there wasn't supposed to be a number attached to anybody. It was supposed to be, okay, this person's really struggling in math. This person's really struggling in reading. That was what it was supposed to be. And then we put a number on it and fucked everything up. Yeah, it's like it was meant to help start an, a universal education system in France. Yes. But let's look at the factors that go into the validity of your test. Genetics, as uh, our eugenicist friends earlier were bringing up. Some studies actually have shown that IQ is influenced by genetics. In fact, they have found actual genes within your body that correlate with your IQ. However, the people who do these studies kind of go, yeah, we found them. It doesn't mean a goddamn thing um, other than, you know, it's interesting to know. And, you know, your parents IQ does have an effect on yours. But they also were like, nurture matters at least as much. And also they discovered that there is a, gen a direct genetic link between um, willingness to work and uh, or not. So if your parent was not willing to try in school, chances are you are less willing to try in school and not even if you've got a parent who's like, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have my kid be like me. My kid is going to work really hard. And they're like not even pushing you, but just really encouraging you. There is a genetic component to just not wanting to try. Huh. So uh, the people who studied all this at King's College London said the data would differ based on access to education and resources, not just genetics. And that while the genes studied may affect academic achievement, it actually underscores why we need personalized educational plans for each kid so they can grow and succeed best. At no point did they say, well, it's all genetic, might as well quit. It was like, okay, so we can look at this genetic component and go, okay, we can tell from the get that this kid might need additional supports or that this kid might need additional challenges. Let's get going. Let's make sure this kid succeeds. Not mm, genetics done. Because... Like, yeah, there are some parts of your genetics that you can't change. Like, your eye color is always going to be your eye color. But your genetics don't determine everything about you. They don't. Like, there are certain stagnant things like whether or not you can roll your tongue. It's mm -hmm. not going to change. But you could also be genetically predisposed to alcoholism and never become an alcoholic because you make different choices or because that gene just missed you somehow. Like, whatever. Your genetics, just it just like you could have two brown-eyed parents have a blue-eyed kid that is actually both of their kids. It's when you get to blood typing that you gotta worry. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that genetics play a role, which is innate, in both your IQ and your desire to try on the test, as I mentioned earlier. If you don't try on the test, then you're not gonna do well. 
But we also know that access to education and other resources affects your score, no matter how motivated or and how high your IQ should be. If you have never learned to hold a pencil and your pay and your a test is on paper, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's like you're it's like uh, I'm cutting you off on penmanship, but but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Then we have race. Mm-hmm. As recently, oh, I forgot about I forgot about this part. As recently as 1994, someone wrote a book called The Bell Curve that legit said people who aren't white are genetically predisposed to be less intelligent thanks to their studying of IQ tests. 1994? However, the APA was like, okay, we'll investigate. They investigated. And they did say, okay, we are seeing that people of color are scoring lower. We are not prepared to say that this is because they are innately less capable. And as time has gone on, it has become, we have come to realize it's, oh, maybe it's because we are underfunding schools that aren't predominantly white. And maybe it's because there's a cycle of poverty. And maybe it's because they grew up in different cultures than white people. So there might be things on the test that they don't recognize. Not because they're not smart, but because maybe they can't imagine a golf cart because they don't know what a golf cart looks like. Yeah. Sorry, like, think about those stupid-ass uh, word questions you had on math tests, and there were definitely times where you looked at one and you got stuck on the question and not on the math, okay, because you didn't know what something was. Well, yeah, I remember, like, one where it was, like, they were asking a question about, like, lo- like, like there's so many chickens and so many llamas, and, like, how many, you see how so many legs, how many chickens are there, how many llamas are there? It's like, what? Like, if you don't know how many legs a llama has, you're just in trouble. Exactly! That's a, re- that's a really good example, Austin. Yeah. That was better than the example I had from my own life. Um, it was asking, it was one of those visual analogies, and one of them was grapes, like grape vines or grape leaves or something, and I realized I had no idea what they looked like, and I couldn't answer the question. But yours is better than mine, because what if you don't know what a llama is? Yeah. And then there's also, like, or kangaroo. Let's think about kangaroos for a second. Like, off the top of your head, would you know if kangaroos, like, when you were eight, had four legs or two? I mean, they hop around on two are their front ones legs or are they arms? Yeah, but they also move around on their with their front legs on the exactly, ground Exactly, but so do children. Yeah. And we don't say human children have four legs. Like, unless you're the Sphinx. Unless you're the Sphinx. See, and I'm, I'm always the one who, uh, and guys, this is, I think, part of how I ended up in Gifted in the first place. I would, I, I was always one who was like, um, I need, I need pictures. And they're like, well, you can't count. I'm like, well, then how do I know that none of the llamas are missing legs? I was that kid. Or chickens, because like, you know. Well, the chickens aren't missing legs because that chicken would have been killed. But well, a llama can be fine if it only has three legs, especially if you grew up that way. But chickens with only one leg is not going to do so but well. what if you only wanted one drumstick and you wanted to save the other one? That is not how chicken works. I'm pretty sure that's how chicken works. Austin, I didn't even grow up on a farm like you. <laughs> have you ever had to behead a chicken? Yes. Was it terrible? Yes. Do you know what I gave a speech about and won awards for in in high school? What? A headless chicken that lived for 18 months. I should just talk about that on the episode. I could I could do it from fucking memory. Ooh. Well, save, save it for when we're struggling. Um, okay. So race does not necessarily play a factor, but people of different races, even if they were all from the same country, do differently on the test because of the environment around them. And then we have language. If you don't speak English fluently and a test is given in English, you're not going to do well. What? Like Shocked. Austin. Austin, you what you took Latin in high school and your yes. grandpa, your grandparents spoke Swedish around the table yeah. and stuff. If I handed you a test that was in Latin or Swedish, how would you do on it? Uh, muy mal, which is Spanish, because I don't remember any Latin. 
Yeah, just like, and I used to be a Spanish translator, guys. P.S. Sorry to anybody I had to translate for. You hand me a test in Spanish today, I would not be able to do it. Um, I, God, I still feel horrible about this, but I didn't know better. My first year in education, I was not a trained educator. I was fresh out of college. I needed a job. They were hiring somebody for an assistant type position. I'm like, okay, I can assist. And I had a kid who had been in the country for less than a year who spoke very limited English. She was still in her silent phase, which is one of the phases people go through when they're learning a language where they you can you can tell they're starting to learn the language, but they're not confident to say it yet. But oh my God, she was brilliant. She was brilliant. And I went to a teacher and I said, I think that this student needs to be tested for gifted. And honest to God, this teacher looked me in the face and said, kids who speak English as a second language can't qualify for gifted. What? And that they can never be in the gifted program. Oh. I was a kid. I didn't know that that wasn't allowed, but it felt weird to me. So I actually went to a gifted teacher that I know from a different school and I said, is this true? And they looked at me and said, that's not only not true, that's illegal. Um, in our state, if a kid, parent or staff member says, I think we need to test this child for gifted, you legally have to contact the parents to talk about it and then start at least doing observations, which also... It is illegal that I was not in the gifted program because it was requested multiple times. And we were told that once we were told there's no way she's as smart as so-and-so, the only other gifted program person in my grade, when in fact, I, I won't get into it. The other time it was we're full, which is also extremely illegal. So I actually did go and ultimately recommend the kid for gifted. I don't know whatever came of it because I was only there for one year. But yes, you can be gifted and be in get and be a second language learner, just like you can be a second language learner and be in special education. Um, which they never, believe it or not, that teacher never had a problem with kids being in both of those. Mm. But they adapt the tests. That's all it takes is adapting yeah. the goddamn test. Uh, and then there's culture, which is a broad term meaning a lot of things. Uh, culture can mean you're from a place in the States or elsewhere where you had limited access to education. So you might not be able to perform well in the test. It doesn't mean you're not capable. It just means you haven't learned how to take a test. It can mean from a place of ba or a background where you haven't heard of something on the test, like the llamas we talked about, or golf is a really common one. Like we don't realize it because we grew up, you know, in an area where people like golf. Golf yeah. shows up a lot on these tests. Oh my God. Uh, my sister is actually having to learn golf because all of the guys in her office play golf. And she's like, I need to learn to play golf so I can go play golf. My parents um, had me take bowling lessons and tennis lessons as a kid, thinking I would grow up to be in, in business. Um, and tennis and bowling were still two big things that happened in business back then. I don't know if tennis still is. I think companies still have bowling leagues. I'm not a bad bowler, but I drew the line at golf. I was like, fuck this. It is hot. It is bright. I will lose my job before I go stand out in this. The clothes are just so goofy. Wear street clothes. Austin, just... you didn't see what I was wearing today. Okay, that's true. I had a tutu with stars on, an in-sync crop top, my uh, Luna Lovegood earrings... And a high ponytail with shaved with my shaved sides of my head. Yeah, but uh, were you wearing plaid oh, and shorts, boots. Knee, boots. So knee socks, dress shoes, and a polo shirt? I believe I have worn that exact outfit at some point in my okay. life. Um, okay, so like going back to your llama thing, if you don't know what something is, you can't answer the question. And the thing is, the tests could always be modified to ensure that there's something on like. As long as you are above an infant, old enough to be able to recognize objects, you'll probably know what a person is. 
or what a ball is or what a bird is or what a tree is, something that is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in the deepest city, you're going to have seen a bird or a fucking tree. It's like a tree even grows in Brooklyn. (sighs) I don't think you get to go to New York anymore. Damn it. Like, there is no reason for the extra fun stuff because it's not fucking relevant to the question or to your intelligence. Your IQ is about your ability to reason, not about your ability to identify things you have no context for. Then we have gender. Now, you probably heard growing up that, well, more boys are geniuses, but girls score better on IQ tests overall. I think I heard that at some point. I... I think I was even skeptical of that as a child. If there are more males identified as geniuses, which I could not find anything to corroborate, it's probably because they've got the time to go deal with that because the women are actually doing the real work. Like, we don't have time to go take some Mensa test. Um, But no, there is a negligible difference in the intelligence to the point where it is not worth putting into data, except for the fact that women tend to do better on the verbal tasks, and men tend to do better on spatial tasks, which is influenced by culture and experiences. Because remember, from a young age, girls are told that they're supposed to be good at writing and talking, and boys are told that they're supposed to be good at building things. Yeah. Goes back to what you were saying about the stutters. Yes. Kids become what you tell them they are. So on IQ tests, girls do better on the verbal sections because they're told they're supposed to, so they perform better than that overall. Uh, again, overall, meaning in general, not universally. Um, however, even though there is no noted difference in IQ between men and women, and remember, this is just talking about gender binary because that's what has been studied over the last century or so. They did a study where they looked at grades of pupils of all ages from kindergarten through graduate school. Uh, They looked at the grades from the years 1914 to the year 2011 and found that from day one all the way through graduate school, girls outperform boys academically. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Now, I'm not saying that means anything. I'm just th- saying it's worth noting. In short, the tests are written for rich white people by rich white people with the assumption that everybody speaks academic English and has no disabilities that could affect understanding or ability to, t- to successfully take an exam while not affecting uh, actual intelligence, such as blindness, deafness, a physical disability that, that inhibits your ability to use a computer or a pencil, anything like that. All these assumptions are made for this test to work. And this is even more so for standardized tests like the SAT, ACT, and state mandated grade level exams. Fuck you. But I said at the beginning that these tests do matter, and I stand by that. These tests give us a glimpse into what someone might need. It is a baseline. Think of it as like taking a temperature. Historically, and I know this is not, we've actually proven this is not accurate, but we've always said that the average temperature is 98.6. So let's just go with that. Now, some people, they'll go to the doctor and say, I don't feel well. And they'll have a temperature of 98.6 and the doctor will assume there's nothing wrong. Could be a fever for them, though. But if that person goes back to the doctor, like, I'm feeling fine and their temperature is 97, that gives them, you know, that 98.6 is a baseline where we think things are okay. Um, But their body resting temperature is actually 97. We discover that 98.6 for them is a fever. So they actually did need help. Or you'd have somebody whose temperature is naturally 99.4. And so if their temperature is 98.6, you're like, oh, you're sick too. 
Just like if your temperature is 99.4, 101 might not really be, that mean you're that sick. Yeah, it might be I just walked up some stairs. Yeah. Oh, no, I got... <laughs> okay, first of all, guys, those forehead uh, temperature things are bullshit. But I have had both a fever and hypothermia based on those in the past. I looked into a doctor or a pharmacist and they did my temperature and it was 94. And he looks at me like, are you dead? I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not dead. I was like, I run cold anyway, but it's freezing out. Um, So the 98.6 is the norm from which we see if somebody needs help. So if somebody comes in, your temperature is supposed to be 98.6 and their temperature actually is 94 and they just got pulled out of a frozen river. You know that they need help. You probably know they need help because they got pulled up a frozen river, yeah. but you know exactly how much help they need based on what their body temperature is. Or you also can tell how long someone's been dead based on what their body temperature is from that 98. Or you can look at that 98.6 and go, okay, that's the baseline, but this person's temperature is 105. That's a bad thing when they need help. Yeah. So it's like taking a temperature. It lets us know if somebody needs supports in some way. Um, and you'll notice the word might is showing up a lot. That's because it might mean something and it might not. Just like that 98.6 might be meaningless. It is a point of data. It's like my average body temperature is 97.5. I think yours is about 99. If I had a temp, if my temperature is 98.6, I'm sick. If your temperature is 99, you're not sick. It could be meaningless. Um, and most psychologists like, agree that IQ doesn't tell the whole story. For instance, an IQ test can't tell any practical skills. <laughs> You can't tell by looking at an IQ test if somebody is a musical prodigy or if they can look at a car engine and understand how it works, where a lot most of us look at a car engine and go, look, it's made of metal, I think. Okay, it's still in there. It's probably good. But it's usually not. No. It's like, and these are practical skills and they have everything to do with intelligence. It's just a different way of expressing that intelligence. I, I look at an instrument and the instrument fucking breaks, but Austin can pick up an instrument and be like, oh, I feel how this works. Yeah. Well, a stringed instrument. Don't give me a woodwind. It's going to be bad. Well, now I know what you're getting for your birthday. No. Uh, it also gives no idea of socio-emotional skills, which may be even more important than intelligence. Both in terms of, you know, just surviving socially, but also in getting and keeping jobs like that five foot three motherfucker we talked about <laughs> earlier who worked at a job that he should have been promoted at for literally 10 years and never got a promotion. Um, no one cares how smart you are if you treat them sh like shit. And we also the test itself makes a difference. The day on which you take the test, how you're feeling that day. If you if your temperature is 98.6 and you have a temperature of 101, you're not going to do as well the test that day. But it will also make a difference if you're taking the Wexler test or the Stanford Binet test. Austin and I both did them earlier. At least I did two. He did one. Um, oh, I did two. Um, one. Well, we did. I did like five. It was a whole issue. <laughs> Guys, first of all, the online ones are not real. No. Uh, some of them could be very accurate, like compared to the, they could be very well based on them. You also need to make sure you're taking the one that's for adults and not for kids. So we took ones that were supposedly based on the Wexler and on the Stanford Binet. Um, and I did take, I took two Stanford Binet ones, one that actually didn't give me problems, one that did. You said, you said there was some, the, I have feelings of what you wanted to come back to. So like the first one, like I went up, I took it, it was fine. Then like, okay, I took this one and you mentioned, yeah, but it was kind of laggy and the timer didn't stop, even though it was taking forever to load questions. And at that point I was like, okay. And I was already like, I had been, I'd been driving for a while. I already taken an a test and like the second one my heart wasn't in it and you told me that it was laggy and it was laggy so I didn't really try hard on it and I got in the bottom 10% now 
either our ghost is pissed or it's thundering. I think it's thundering. Um, yeah. So I I took the wax test and got one score, and then I took a Stanford Binet that was not laggy, and I scored twenty points less. And then on the one that was laggy, I took that one twice because I was hoping the second time it wouldn't be laggy. The first time, my IQ was exactly average. The second time, my IQ was about 50 (laughs) because of the lagginess, which goes into the fact that the conditions of the exam can affect the exam. And I think it was a timed one and I had a cat screaming at me. Yeah. Like if you are, you're going to have a very different experience taking a test in a quiet room than if you are surrounded by other people. Um, and there have been issues like if your computer goes down in the middle of like the fucking bar exam, you don't get to fucking finish it. Like, and also there's even the issue of whether you have to take it on a computer versus on paper. Like some people can't read as well off of the screens. People can't read as well off of piece of paper. Like there are so many factors here. Um, so yeah, like if I was like, yes, this is my IQ, obviously I'm going to want to go with the Wex one, right? Because right. that one was 20 points higher than Stanford Binet. And I mean, obviously I also think Stanford Binet is more is less accurate because of the eugenics thing. But I don't know that for certain. Yeah, we we haven't done an in-depth study on these. We aren't no, like looking at There like, is no and there is no way to do an in-depth compared comparison study of the different IQ tests. Because IQ is affected by so many things. There is no perfect example of someone with a certain IQ. And at the end of the day, it doesn't even fucking matter. Um, So if I can give one piece of advice. I was lucky enough that when I got, actually got to see the results of a gifted exam I took once, I've taken, I, I, like I said, I moved a lot, so I took more than one. Um, They didn't give me a an IQ on there. They gave me a score out of 100. Um. And I was made to feel bad enough because my best friend got one point higher than me on it. And she made me feel like shit over that. If my IQ had been on there and her IQ had been on hers and if it had been one point higher, can you imagine how she could have made me feel with that? Well, um, when we took those tests, yours was one point higher than mine. And I feel like she's going to make me feel awful. I I told you from the beginning. I was like, do you want to do this as well? Because I absolutely I, wanted to do this. I didn't think yours was going to be exactly one point higher than mine. I mean, honestly, neither did I. <laughs> I thought yours was going to be so much higher than mine. And then I also, the reason I checked the I checked that email was like, I was looking for an IQ test score and it, the one from last year came in. My IQ has gone down by one point since, since last year, although that was a different test. It's, it's COVID brain, but man. This is another thing. This is also another thing that I forgot to write down. As you take the test throughout your life, your IQ will go up and down by as much as 20 points on the same test. Ooh. 20 points. That's bananas. Yes. And so if you took, and obviously this is, you know, you're not taking the adult version every time you're taking the age appropriate one every time and blah, blah, blah. But on the same test, your IQ can change by as much as 20 points simply based on how you feel that day. Or like pregnancy brain is a real thing from, or and post-pregnancy brain is a real thing. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think that'd be a really interesting study. Not an interesting reality show, but an interesting study is having pregnant people take these kinds of tests just so because, you know, mommy brain... I fully believe you all when you say it's a real thing. Oh. Um, but I'd like to kind of see, like, is there a point at which it starts? Is there a point at which it stops on average? I think that'd be an interesting t- interesting thing to do. I had a friend uh, who recently had a child who bought multiple copies of the same book and requesting signatures from the author. Oh, no. Yeah. For like like multiple pre-orders. And she's like, oh, no, because <laughs> she just got the confirmations for both of them. And they both have wildly different messages on them, too. <laughs> God, I hope one of them is just bonkers, though, because that would be awesome. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's the thing is your IQ, guys, it doesn't matter. But this is my one piece of advice. If for some reason the IQ, the the gifted exam your child takes, or believe it or not, some jobs require IQ tests before you can be hired or to place you in the correct position, even now, like they did in the army. I believe the military still uses something like this. Yeah, I think, oh, it's not, it's like the... I don't As, know. ASVAP or A-S-V-A-P-E. Yeah, something like that. Oh. Um, if there is an actual IQ score in there and you as a parent or a teacher sees it, do not tell your child what it is and do your best to forget it yourself. Shred that goddamned document. If they want to get into Mensa later, you can get the company to resend those scores to Mensa. They do not need to know what score they got on that fucking test. And I will tell you why. Because these kids will internalize that. If you have a kid who has an IQ of exactly 100, they will think I am average. I am doomed to be average. If you have a kid who has an IQ of 90, it's, oh, I guess I'm just not as smart as everybody else. If you've got a kid with an IQ of 115, they'll be like, oh, I should have done better. If you've got a kid with an IQ of 155, they're gonna be like, well, I'm a genius. My IQ is the same as this person that I read online, even though that's actually been verified. I don't ever have to try. You get the kid with the IQ of 84, one outside, one point outside the, the quote unquote norm, they're going to feel terrible and they're going to internalize that. This is going to affect them in one way or another. And also kids don't keep their goddamn mouths shut. No. And their friends are going to find out or they're going to find out their friends and it's just not going to be good. Nobody needs to know their IQ score. Nobody on this goddamn earth needs to know their IQ score except for a psychologist or educational specialist who is working with a child. That is it. Those are the only people who need to know because you don't want to mess your kid up like that because then they turn them into fucked up adults who make other people feel less than. Or they, ex they perform horrifying experiments on monkeys and orphans. Yeah, so keep it to yourself. Just tell them, yes, you got into gifted or no, sorry, you didn't get into gifted, but it doesn't mean that you're not smart because it doesn't. Just like being yeah. in special education doesn't mean you're not smart. Um, so that's IQ, though. IQ is basically this number that is assigned to you based on your ability to take a test well. Um, there are culturally responsive ones. There are ones that are available in different languages. There are different tests in different countries throughout the world. But at the end of the day, the ones in America are written by white people for white people for the purposes of white people. The end. That was depressing and awful. I can see why you're typing so angrily. But I mean, my IQ is still one point higher than yours. So. It's true. So you understand how awful it is just a little bit better than me. <laughs> Oh my god. And it's one of those things too. It's tempting, isn't it though? It's tempting. Oh, okay. Like, you understand, like, my entire marriage, I've just always assumed, like, yeah, you're way smarter than me. And I've always said that no, I'm not. You and I have different sets of skills. And it turns out according to this IQ test, like one point difference. And also I was one of those kids who I guess I'd have the uh just don't try gene. Cause like I like I was like I got very rarely got positive reinforcement except for when I took like standardized tests. And this is just yet another standardized test that I excelled at. You scored better than me on the ACT. Yeah. I scored better than you on the GRE. It's true. Granted, you didn't take the I GRE. But so by default, I by scored default. better than you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I scored better than you on the Iowa test of basic skills. So there. Is that the one you take in fourth grade? I think so, yeah. No, you didn't. Ah, uh, damn. <laughs> I actually remember getting... I was assuming you wouldn't have taken the Iowa test of basic skills, which I don't understand why we took that in Kansas. I took that test 
And I got my results. And they gave us the results in class for us to review during class time, by the way. Yeah. And I'm looking at my score. And I remember thinking, who are these dumbasses who create these? (laughs) Because it said that I read as a fourth grader at a post, at an adult level. I can't remember if it was post high school or post college, but it said I read at that, whatever the highest level was. And I remember thinking, how can they tell that from giving me fourth grade pieces to read? (laughs) Oh, and this is another thing. This is a dirty little secret, guys. Um, the standardized tests your kids take when they have these, you know, sections where they have to fill in answers that are not fill in the blank, but like paragraphs. There are people who are actually grading those. Those are real human beings. They are given a list of acceptable and not acceptable words. The quality of your kid's answer doesn't matter. They just have to hit the keywords. They have to hit the keywords. Your kid could have written the most beautiful and relevant paragraph. But if they used a word that was considered one of the unacceptable words instead of a more unnecessary and fancy Like if they said it's like this shit was wacky instead of I find this unacceptable. Yeah, like if it it could be the it it won't matter because there's it's and and I'll tell you too, like they feel bad, the people who are grading these. They know they know it's one of those things where they're like, but 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 and they're like, shut up you. It's like working on a call center, I bet. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's another thing too with with standardized tests. Don't put too much stock in them. No. Um, your IQ matters in so much as it gives them a baseline for what you might need. Your standardized test scores mean nothing. So will this be on the test? Oh well, are we talking an IQ test or like <laughs> a real test? Um. Well. Or are all tests just irrelevant? Have we just destroyed our own podcast by proving that tests mean nothing? I got too meta. Let's ask me my questions, please. <laughs> Well, no, actually, that's kind of the point of our podcast. That tests are irrelevant? Yeah, it's about what you learn. It's not about what you um, what Could you can... regurgitate for yeah, the exam. Yeah, that's kind of the whole point. Because um, like the stuff that you and I find interesting, the reason we made this podcast is stuff that we learned that stuck with us because we found it interesting or stuff we want to learn more about, which was almost never the exact same thing that was on the test. Yeah. No, tests are almost... like I did give tests as a teacher rarely when I had to, mostly, I had to give like a final exam. And, a, and like if we were finishing up like a history unit or a Shakespeare unit where I just wanted to make sure they understood the language. And I also, if a kid got a grade that I knew that they were better, capable of getting a better one, I'd be like, come here, click out in the hallway, take this test again, because uh, <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> like, but if you don't test them on what they've learned, how can they win? Uh, or more importantly, how can we have losers? And honestly, Austin will tell you, I am the most competitive person on the face of the earth. She makes puzzles a competition. Yes, I, I'm talking about like jigsaw puzzles. Not like Jigsaw from Saw, but like Jigsaw puzzles. I'm sure you could turn that into a competition, too. I believe in you. Jigsaw from Saw, I thought, was a competition. Like I said, I've never seen the movie. Um, But I'm the most competitive person in the world. I think that we need to get rid of tests and probably grades as well. (laughs) I think they cause a lot of harm. Like, if I was still working in education, would I give them? Yes, I always have. Would I give them in a way that was fair? Yes. I was very much into tailoring stuff to each kid as much as I could, which is probably part of why I burned out, because I had 150 kids per semester. And you cared about all of them. It was, it was amazing an, it was, and I, also exhausting. I loved them. I love them still. I still worry about them. So, guys, um, first of all, yes, you were right. Miss Maddie was always on the verge of saying fuck. And <laughs> secondly... I still miss y'all. I still do. And yeah. you are better than whatever any test score tells you you are. Um, so, But will this be on the test? Because there are still tests. We are still in the, ro- in the world where there are chickens and roads. Will this be on the test? The original 
IQ test was to ensure that the needs of French children were properly met. Yes. Will this be on the test? The next people to work on the the first people to work on the test in the United States and the next people to work on the test period were super into eugenics. No, because the first one makes it look like this is a noble test. The second part makes it look like awful and garbage. Will the fact that we used IQ tests to set immigration quotas be on the test? I feel like I did actually learn that in school. So I'm going to say yes, depending on your school. Probably not in Texas. Will the fact that your that IQ serves as a baseline and not an end-all, be-all, fixed-forever thing be on the test? No. I don't think that'll be on the test. It should be. Yeah. And will this be on the test? Your IQ can fluctuate by as much as 20 points at any given point in your lifetime, given just the state of the day uh, uh, of what you're doing that day and the version of the test you're taking. No, because I feel like Mensa would get really mad about it. And finally, will this be on the test? You are more than any number that has ever applied to you. Yes, that should be on the test. And we should also just say that to all of our listeners. You are more than the metrics that you were measured by in school. Which, and you're more than like any number that's assigned to you, which is yeah. why you can just send us your credit card numbers and your social security numbers because they don't oh, define you. Oh, and pin numbers. You. Don't forget your pin numbers. Yeah, don't forget those pin numbers. They, they don't define you. And I guess your uh, your your iTunes uh, usernames and passwords, too. And your address. Yeah. I. Um, your driver's license number would be helpful. Yep. Date of birth. Date of birth. While you're at it, like, your mother's maiden name would be helpful. And your first pet and the first street you'll have done. Oh, oh, the color of your first car. <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys. And actually, I didn't intend for my part to be depressing. I actually thought this was going to be kind of, like, and I do think it's a fascinating I topic. I thought it was going to be funny because we were both going to take IQ tests and it was going to be, like, content. But it ended up just being, oh, wow. Huh. Well, actually, it was going to be different. But then the IQ test we originally took didn't work. Yeah. At all. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, well, it's... email your results. And they're like, oh, Never fuck, did. I'm going to get so much spam oh now. Oh, my God. I've gotten so many emails about hot Russians and Ukrainians since then. I'm sure that none of these people are from Russia or Ukraine, but I have gotten some very interesting job offers. <laughs> yes. Um, one that? of them was to ship clothing and baloney. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's actually not meant to be, because IQ tests, I do think they're very important. I, they give you this great baseline. They give yeah. you something to work with. As a teacher, I and I actually did have some level of access to some kids' IQs. A lot of schools, um, okay, here's the deal. Public schools don't tend to give general education teachers access to IQ if they have them at all, which they would only have in certain circumstances. Private schools, I had access to every single one of my students' IQs because when they entered, they had to have a minimum IQ to get into the school in theory. I made a point of not looking at that number because I didn't want, and this is someone who even then was like, this number is kind of bullshit, but your brain goes to, this is what I learned about it. This is true. This kid's IQ is this. It means this kid is capable of this. Bullshit. Because I actually did see a couple of them, you know, because you're just going to. Yeah. Didn't mean a goddamn thing. No. These kids, you know, their IQs were out of where they were. They always did better than... It, it just took loving them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know I've been rambling for a long ass time, but, you know, I we need to get out of here. It's really hot. Uh, tell people where they can find us. They can find us at on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, and our website OnTheTestPod.com. 
And like I said, you're more than a number. So if you want to tweet at us, that is the best way to reach us is Twitter, via DM, via uh, public message, just all the, your social security number, your credit card, your pen. That's all we really need from you. Yeah. Or if you want, or or if you know that we're asking you something unreasonable, perhaps you go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating because unlike your IQ score, that five stars actually really does matter. It does matter. And a one star also matters in a way that will make me also leave Mary Tudor. And actually, I probably won't come beat you up because I'll be too busy crying. That's true. You don't want to make her cry. I'll feel like those monkeys with the metal moms. Don't be my metal mom. Don't be her metal mom. Like, just give me my five stars and then I will think of you as a nice, squishy, warm, stuffed monkey, not a monkey made out of chicken wire. And who wants to be thought of as a monkey made out of chicken wire? Nobody, except for big chicken wire. <laughs> and on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.